Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. To Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. And this is a big one, folks, our 100th episode. The Honeymooners didn't make it to 100 episodes, uh, neither did The Sopranos, but Gamble On has. Uh, We started this podcast just a, a little under two years ago, and here we are at the century mark. John, set a line on whether we'll make it to 200. Oh, about 200. Um, yeah, we made it to 100. I did another, we're not 100 Soprano episodes. I, I missed all of them, but I, I apparently <laughs> I, I didn't miss 100. So um, let's see, I have to factor in my age and health. It's another two years you're looking at. I'm not independently wealthy. And with two kids, I doubt you are either. So it's a little <laughs> better than even money. I'd say that we make it to 200. Uh, 500 would be like plus 50,000, I think, though. Yeah, five five hundred. It's a little early to think about that, but on two hundred, I'm 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 definitely betting the yes. I, I feel like uh, cranking out another hundred episodes will be a breeze for us. I wonder what the most podcast like what number you know. There's a lot of podcasts are number sixty two or even two hundred and five <laughs> or whatever. I wonder right. if there's like a podcast that has you know we're on episode eight hundred and seventy nine or something. I, I bet know. there is because because I guess there are some podcasts that are like daily. We are we yeah. are not we are not daily. But if you're a daily <laughs> podcast that's been doing it for. Uh, you know, <laughs> ten years or something like that. Uh, you you could be up in those numbers. Yeah, we're. I I definitely would bet against us cracking uh, into quadruple digits. I think a thousand is out of reach. Uh, feeling very good about two hundred. <laughs> maybe on five hundred. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll say no on the thousand. But uh, yeah. In all seriousness, I'll just say to you, John, it has been a pleasure hosting this yeah. show with you for a hundred episodes. Other than the occasional frustrating moment watching you battle versus ver- your Skype or versus your internet. Uh, other, <laughs> other than those things, every. Everything else has been a pure pleasure, so I hope we do continue to ramble on on Gamble On for many years to come. Oh, I like that. I like that. Uh, <laughs> that could be a teaser. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you to everyone for joining us for this extremely self-congratulatory 100th episode <laughs> of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 99 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And instead of giving us the usual five stars, we hope one of our tech-savvy listeners can figure out how to hack in and give us a 100 star rating but if you can't five stars will do uh, very uh, timely there eric uh, very nice um <laughs> yeah, and coming up a little later on the show we're gonna be joined by poker icon phil helmuth uh the all-time leader in world series of poker bracelets and world series of poker caches too um you know phil is living for a month at the aria in las vegas as he plays the world series of poker online bracelet events and he'll join us to talk about being one of the original reality tv stars really if you think about it um when he thinks there'll be a live component to the world series again uh, interesting. And what other forms of gambling he partakes in besides poker? Uh, every poker player has another uh, interest, certainly. Um, but first, it's been a semi-busy news week, I would say, in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Gambling. 
Let's start the news segment this week in an unusual way with a story that isn't quite a fully formed story yet as we record this early Thursday morning. But perhaps by the time you listen to this, it will be official. Uh, And what we're talking about is the completion of the Caesars-El Dorado merger. Wednesday was supposed to be the day that New Jersey regulators gave their approval and the $17.3 billion merger deal became official. But the hearing dragged on and on and has bled into Thursday. Uh, John watched the whole grueling thing online, and I know he (laughs) has some thoughts on why it didn't get done in one day. So I'll let him weigh in on all that. Uh, Last week, the Indiana Gaming Commission approved the merger, as Chris Altruda covered on HoosierStateBets.com. Nevada approved it as well. They were two of 16 states that needed to approve it, plus the shareholders and the Federal Trade Commission. And New Jersey is the final link in that chain. So, John, I'll hand it over to you. What do you think the holdup in New Jersey on Wednesday was? And give me the big picture here. What does this merger mean for the companies or the public? Yeah, I mean, look at a $17 billion merger, you know, its needs, as you say, uh, you know, almost two dozen state regulatory approvals and other boards and such. Um, And look who gets the last domino, ever savvy New Jersey, how (laughs) sweet it is. I mean, talk about holding all the cards, whatever New Jersey wants, right? The gaming giants can hardly say no. So what would Atlantic City want? Well, there were pesky deed restrictions on three shuttered uh, sites uh, along the boardwalk, Uh, the Atlantic Club and Showball Casinos and the Claridge Hotel. So forcing the merger buddies to surrender on that opens up all sorts of taxable, rateable possibilities down the road. And again, what are they going to say? No. Um, so uh, the new company has agreed to all that. They've agreed to 40 conditions uh, on Wednesday <laughs> from a sometimes uh, hectoring uh, regulators in New Jersey. Uh, they kind of, you know firing the gun at your feet and saying, you know, dance, you know, uh, how high can you jump? And uh, they they jumped, they kept jumping and that and they're jumping again on Thursday. Um, you know, the Caesars Casino in particular, as anybody has visited in the last 10 years knows, uh, has, has really fallen on hard times. So if you're in Jersey, why not force a minimum $150 million renovation upgrade in the next three years and a $400 million upgrade fund across Caesars, Harris and Tropicana, which will be part of the new company. Um, plus, even though Caesars expects that Bally's uh, sold to Twin River by the end of the year, um, hey, let's force a new company to agree to pony up $125 million uh, for that site just in case the deal falls through. Um, otherwise, they get their money back. So, you know, state regulators spend about four and a half hours grilling these company executives about, you know, past missteps, getting them to to uh, you know, admit the properties haven't been up to snuff and even forcing them to into a second day uh, today. Um, but why not? I mean, you have right. all the cards. But in the end, El Dorado and Caesars were repeatedly consented to every single demand, and that's how the game is played, kids. Uh, as far as the big picture, um, you know, uh, El Dorado has a 20% stake in William Hill U.S. Sportsbook, and Caesars has its own properties, and it was pretty much conceded that there's going to be some fallout there somehow, uh, a little bit too concentrated in the uh, U.S. sports uh, betting market, and that's an asset. They're going to need assets to sell in order to sort of uh, shore up some of their debt, so right. I think there's going to be a lot of pl- a lot of you know fallout from that. Uh, I think some of the uh, Caesars casinos on Las Vegas Strips are going to be sold, Uh to various potential props. So it's been a lot of lot of fallout. As far as a customer goes, I think, you know, Caesar's rewards program is renowned. I mean, it, it's the program is actually much better than the properties themselves for as far as a lot of people are concerned. Um, El Dorado's reputation, I mean, the the insider feeling is not that great in terms of whether the rewards are going to be as lucrative as they were. So that may not work out so well for the consumer. And there's a lot of, you know, consolidation and cost cutting and all kinds of stuff that, you know, stockholders and, uh, you know, and, and such should love to hear. But for a consumer, they're not crazy about that. So I think in Atlantic City, the properties are definitely going to be upgraded. So I think Atlantic City is going to win on this deal. Uh, across the country, I'm not as convinced. Okay. Um, yeah, certainly Caesars is the the much better known brand. So, uh, you know, as I understand it, the El Dorado side will be running things, essentially absorbing mm-hmm. Caesars, but uh, using the more established Caesars name uh, on things. And uh, you, you mentioned those, you know, 40 conditions uh, that the New Jersey w- was pushing for. I saw an one interesting uh, one that the, the the regulators are pushing for that stood out at me was that 
the company must assure no layoffs for five years after the deal mm-hmm. closes. Now, maybe you can still have furloughs. Maybe those don't count as layoffs. I don't know. But it just feels like a very tricky thing to guarantee these days. But uh, as you said, uh, the, the regulators hold the cards. They'll, uh, they're pushing for everything they can get here. Yes. Carl, Carl Icahn has been involved in, in, uh, in all of this. And uh, he's going to have a reduced stake down to about 10%, they say. But um, he has clashed repeatedly with the unions in Atlantic City. And it's been pretty bitter at times over the years. So um, you, know, you had that at Tropicana and you've had it at the Caesars property. So um, you're right. I, I think that um, I doubt that the, the new Caesars, as they call it, was really looking to have these kind of guarantees on, uh, you know, these are really uh, casino floor workers, right? I mean, executives are going to come and go and all that, but, right. you know, they're, they're pushing for the, you know, the middle-class worker who's kind of helping the Atlantic County economy. And um, I, I give the Jersey regulators credit. They had a great hand here and I think they're taking advantage of it and um, I can't blame them. Yeah. And look, I mean, it's great to hear them pr- protecting those uh, th- those middle uh, middle class, working class type jobs. That's that's great if, if they can do it. It's just a tricky time for that. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see how the new company operates in as much as El Dorado has usually taken a local focus with its casinos and Caesars tends to operate with with a national strategy. So the question of, of how much all the properties nationally will be controlled by a central executive team versus letting local casinos make their own decisions. That, that'll that be an interesting thing to watch uh, a little bit down the road, you know, if, if you're into that sort of thing. And and then the, the divestment details state to state will also be interesting to watch. This, this, clearly, this is just the beginning of this story in terms of seeing how it impacts the casino industry around the country. Yeah, the promises are they're going to the local concentration rather than decentralized. You know, Caesars kind of was making um, decisions in Las Vegas for properties all around the United States, right. and it didn't work so great. So um, I think El Dorado's right on that front. And as I say, Atlantic City, I think, clearly comes out ahead on this. Um, other other regions, I'm not as convinced, though. Okay. All right. Moving on. Uh, the first of the June gaming revenue reports are in. Both New Jersey and Indiana have shared their numbers. Uh, and let's start with the consistent number one gambling state in the nation during the pandemic, New Jersey. We have officially reached the online casino plateau in the Garden State as June came in at $84.9 million dollars right in the same ballpark as May's $85.9 million and April's $80 million. Uh, Atlantic City casinos reopened in July, so we'll see whether that online number goes down at all. As for sports betting, uh, June was the best month yet in New Jersey since the COVID shutdown started with handle of $165 million, which is up from $118 million the month before. And revenue was $12.6 million, up from $9.9 million in May. The main difference in June was the return of golf. That seems to be the key to sports betting's improvements. And if team sports return as scheduled, it'll keep going up in July and August. Meanwhile, in Indiana, the sports betting handle actually declined from May to June, dropping from $37.3 million to $29.8 million. DraftKings is a dominant number one in Indiana, while FanDuel is still number one in New Jersey. And uh, one other state that reported this week uh, is Colorado, except they reported the May numbers on a fairly substantial delay. May was the first month of legal sports betting in Colorado, and the handle was $25.6 million, not too far off Indiana's pace, especially when you consider most mobile sports books were only open for a partial month. Uh, Table tennis was the most popular sport to bet on in Colorado's first month, which (laughs) sums up 2020 pretty nicely. Uh, John, what stands out to you from among all these various numbers? Yeah, I have to say, New Jersey online casino revenue number is kind of getting stuck, if you will, at between 80 and 86 million for the past three months. Uh, that really is an eye of the beholder moment. Um, would you rather have a starting salary of 50 grand and 10% annual raises, or make 250 grand and not get any raises at all? I think uh, <laughs> I think you'll take the latter. So, right. you know, our boss Adam Small tweeted after my story that he remembers when he thought not so long ago that 30 million was sure to be the peak for New Jersey online gaming revenue. So and casino. So uh, right. yeah, the number's pretty good. You know, if 75 million becomes the floor here. That's one fancy floor, I gotta say. Yeah. <laughs> so 
As for Indiana, yeah, that's a surprising sports betting decline. Um, maybe if the PGA Tour guys wore like Big Ten basketball uniforms, that could have made a difference. Um, Hoosiers and hoops and all that—they love—they right. love their hoops. Um, <laughs> as, as far as Colorado, I, and I, I think I've said my piece on table tennis. I just can't go there anymore. Right. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, I'll take a teeny tiny victory lap for predicting the online casino plateau a couple of months ago. I said <laughs> after April that with the weather getting nicer in New Jersey, I didn't expect the online casino numbers to grow much more and i expect it'll stay right around this very high as you point out right around this very high level the next several months and maybe even pick up again go even higher around november when when people want to stay indoors i I figure if it's ever going to cross a hundred million dollars in a single month that might be like next january or something assuming there isn't a vaccine making the rounds and sending people back to their jobs and offices by then if if covid is still going on and people are still mostly locked down and uh you know you have a a cold winter month i could see this number going higher but for the rest of the summer i think i think this is where it's going to stay um I, i'm surprised sports betting handle dropped in indiana in june i guess yeah. i guess they just aren't huge golf fans there i don't really have any further analysis beyond that um uh, but but uh, obviously, if team sports come back as planned, then July will pick up a little, and then August, that is going to be huge. You know, baseball is scheduled to start next Friday, then NBA on July 30th, my birthday, uh, then uh, then the NHL. So, I mean, August could be, I don't know, could it do NFL season-level handle numbers with all those different sports running and uh, people having a lot of pent-up betting to get out? Uh, I guess that's something we can speculate about more in, in next month. But just uh, looking ahead, August could be uh, – so we could see some crazy numbers. Oh, I agree. There's there's people um, – you can see from these numbers, there are certain portions of the you know betting public that are trying NASCAR or mixed martial arts or PGA Tour or whatever, but a lot of them are not. They're just not right. betting. They're trying a long online casino in the few states that have it. But, you know, overall, um, for the – you know, fortunately, the, obviously, the majority of the population has been a pretty stable. You know, a 15% unemployment rate is horrendous, but that's 85% employment, too. So, you know, the, the majority of the potential betting public has been able to, you know, pretty much weather this storm. Uh, and I think they, they do have that money in the bank, and I think they're going to spend it in August. Right. All right. Well, uh, for our final story, we turn our attention to a series of wagers uh, that are going to make it difficult for Illinois sports betting to post big positive revenue numbers in June. Uh, A high stakes better who goes by the name Cash Out King on Twitter bet big in the Workday Charity Open on Colin Morikawa, uh, who was John's pick in the event, as you'll recall from last week's show, uh, and as we will discuss when we reach the bankroll segment. But uh, as best I can tell, John is not the cash-out king. Is that correct? Can you confirm, John? That's not you? Yeah, All right. can't confirm. I, yeah, I made about $1, one million less than this guy did. <laughs> okay. So uh, cash-out king won $1.06 uh, across uh, five bets on the Bet Rivers mobile sportsbook, including including Morikawa to lead after the first round, Morikawa to finish in the top five, and Morikawa to win it all. As Cash Out King pointed out on Twitter, he and Morikawa made about the same amount of money over the weekend. Morikawa's purse was $1.16 million. Uh, There was a bit of controversy that bubbled up as Cash Out King got into some Twitter arguments about backing, and it was pointed out that through a different Twitter account that was supposedly him, He has shared some offensive takes in the past. Be that as it may, the story here is that he managed a seven-figure score in a single weekend of golf betting, thanks in part to Morikawa coming from three strokes down with three holes to play to beat Justin Thomas in a playoff. Uh, John, any regrets over not going as big on Morikawa as Cash Out King did? And and what are your thoughts on the gambling media, including this podcast and, and, and our website's covering a story like this but never reporting on it if someone like cash out king loses a million bucks in a weekend uh yeah my uh, my level of actual gambling and my uh success in picks is getting kind of a little bit skewed here like what am i doing why am i why am i sitting on the sidelines in real life pretty much uh <laughs> but uh that's my nature i guess so um i think this story rated definitely for news uh because it was so unusual in so many ways including that kind of hook of uh 
the guy betting on some player uh, makes as much money on him as the right. player did for actually winning the tournament. I mean, yeah. that's pretty irresistible. Um, but then we also have to address warts if there are any, and, and there are some here, and you mentioned them. Um, also important, uh, this is a, a casino confirming the tally, right? This is not some you know guy on Twitter or, or Facebook or whatever claiming right. he did something and you don't know if it's really true. I mean, it, however it happened, the money was won, right? right. Um, you know, no casino is in position to monkey around with false claims due to fear of regulators in any state. I mean, they're just not going to do it. So the money was won. So that's a real story. Um, you know, our friend Dave Purdom over at ESPN, meanwhile, you know, he stressed that casinos are not going to allow a sports better to have a chance at that much money if they haven't surrendered plenty before on that casino's table right. games, for instance. So, I mean, you can't just, you know, make these outlandish bets and win all this money um, if you're just a professional sports better. You know, we have some that uh, listen to the podcast. We've had them on the podcast. And, you know, they get limited pretty sharply on what they can uh, gamble because they're just too good. So the fact that this guy, you know, was able to get these limits tells us that he's given it back in some other way. Yeah, that that's an important observation that, that Purdom made. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't mind articles glorifying this a, a little bit. I mean, it's it's a fun story. Big wins. That's that's a story. You do have to watch out for the warning signs that someone is gambling irresponsibly. You don't want to be glorifying another parlay pats. We all recall what happened there. And there <laughs> are some red flags with Cash Out King. Um, so, you know, the story that Chris Altruda wrote for us, I think it did a good job of just reporting the news and quoting Cash Out King without making it look like he's a betting savant or anything. Um, I think the goal for any media outlet should be you can cover this sort of thing and just make sure you balance it with some coverage of any news on the RG on the, on the responsible gaming side of things, you know, just remind your audience occasionally that there's a downside to be wary of. If you're doing that, then I think there's nothing wrong with, with covering the upside. I think we're, you know, we're pretty much in the, in balance there and uh, we'll keep an eye on making sure we keep doing it. Yeah. And, and, and I'll just uh, throw in here that this is uh, as good a spot as any to share my fun story of, of betting on Morikawa. When we, <laughs> when we get to the bankroll, we'll talk about, uh, about, about the bets that we placed there. But um, I just want to uh, share that right after we recorded last week's pod, I like John's pick, that plus 163 on Morikawa to finish top 20. That sounded really good. So I logged on to DraftKings, and the tournament was underway. Even though Morikawa hadn't teed off yet, they wouldn't let you bet him for top 20 or top 10 or top 5 or anything. You could only bet on players to win or or on some like individual matchup bets. Um, but they also had a special promotion of a 30% odds boost on your first bet on the tournament. So Morikawa was 28 to one to win with the boost. He went to a little over 36 to one. So I went ahead and, and made the bet for, for a tiny amount, uh, much less than I usually bet, unfortunately. Uh, but it was a thrilling sweat and an unusual sweat. I was out of town in a house with horrible internet, couldn't really stream it. Uh, and of course it wasn't airing on TV live. Uh, so uh, John was sending me play by play on Slack throughout the last couple of holes and the playoffs. <laughs> it was, it was really fun. The, uh, the, my family can attest that when the final uh, text of, uh, I forget exactly what you said about cash <laughs> money or something like that. Yeah. When, when the tournament <laughs> ended, I had a, a big, a big fist pump. Yeah, well, it's funny, too, because uh, I said to you, I think on Saturday, I sent you a note. I said, by the way, you know, keep in mind that if Morikawa is up against a, you know, a real superstar, you know, in the finale on Sunday, um, you want to hedge him because he's, he's liable to have, have struggled to actually finish the deal. And here is Justin Thomas, three up with three to play. So definitely, you know, I was right to suggest that hedge. And in fact, Morikawa on the 72nd hole had a three footer of the type he missed five weeks ago to lose a tournament. And uh, it just wobbled around the cup and he looked like he was about to, you know, collapse. So uh, uh, I was right on the hedge suggestion too, but um, in the end uh, you won the whole thing. So I like it. Yep. Well, thank you for uh, pointing me in the right direction, and uh, I'm I'm sorry that you didn't uh, you didn't follow your own advice and uh, and and bet quite uh, quite as big as the cash out king. Neither did I, but uh, uh, a w a w wins all around. We'll take it. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the gamble on interview. We promised a special guest for our 100th episode, and we're delivering in the form of the all-time World Series of Poker bracelet king, 
a man who won his first WSOP title in the main event in 1989 and has since gone on to amass a record 15 WSOP victories. He's also an author, an entrepreneur, and a sports better, and he's taking a break from this year's unique version of the WSOP grind to join us now. Phil Helmuth, welcome to Gamble On. Thanks, thanks. 100th episode, huh? That's right. Congratulations to you guys. Thank you. It's a good number, not quite as high as your number of WSOP caches, but uh, we're, we're, we're on your tail. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, so I have to get your thoughts on this year's WSOP. Uh, for, for obvious reasons, an in-person World Series just isn't possible right now. As someone who truly loves playing the WSOP every year, how did you react when you learned the series wasn't happening this summer? And how are you enjoying this online alternative throughout the month of July? Well, I wasn't surprised. So, I mean, you know, come on, we've got COVID. So, I mean, you know, it looked like, you know, you know, I have a friend group that's like uh, very powerful and, you know, and they, they, they own all these companies. And so we were getting information earlier, way early. And I was probably one of the only poker players that skipped the LAPC because he was worried about COVID. Hmm. Everybody, I remember people laughing at me for that. You know, oh, COVID's not going to be anything. Uh huh. <laughs> so I'm not surprised. The WSOP online version's great. I came here. I remember I landed July 1st, um, the day the ARIA opened. Went to my room, took a shower, hopped on, and made a deep run. And right. I keep kept going deeper and deeper and deeper. And I had the whole poker world fired up. Right. I mean, I was tweeting out, and we got down to 18 players. I was chip leader. I had 3.8 million. And I was just thinking, wow, this is sweet. I'm going to, I could easily knock a bracelet off right here, right now. And, uh, you know, you, you get lucky to, to get to 3.8 million. And then for about 900K, I had kings versus queens. Then I had ace queen suited against ace king uh, for five or six big blinds. Can't do anything with ace queen of diamonds. And then I had queens against ace king for a $4.4 million flip for the chip lead with 11 left. I moved in. And to, to be eliminated 11th when your chip leader with 18th is unthinkable in the real world. But 15-minute levels, it happens. And so I was like, all right, at least I'm going to have a bunch of deep runs. Well, I've had a 37th place. Last night I bubbled, and I had another bubble. I mean, last night I was 108th, 99 got paid. Hmm. And so, you know, um, I, I like it. One a day is – one tournament a day is not, you know – enough <laughs> you know <laughs> i'll start playing at 5 30 oftentimes i'm done at 7 30 or 8 because the blinds are so quick right and uh, you know um it, it does it does feel like i haven't really complained about uh luck in any tweets but i mean you know i, I it was ace king suited against king queen offsuit it's like you know and i have ace queen with 12 bigs and i run at aces and then i'm losing a lot of flips and so, you know, it's been a bit frustrating because no matter how great you are, no matter how great you're playing, in 15-minute levels, you need to win flips or have some hands hold up. Right. But so as far as the online series so far, you, you like the way they're doing it other than that maybe more than, yes. one tournament, other, more than one tournament a day is the only thing you might change. I do love it. And uh-huh. uh, yeah, I'm not even sure I'd change that because it okay. does, you know, I'm not even sure I would change that. I've been playing in some cash games for four months yeah, you know, for me personally, uh, you know, I was playing cash games for four months. Um, I think I've won 600,000, 700,000, something like that. It's been really nice. And playing every single day. Um, I think I had two nights in a row off now, finally. But it's crazy. And I mean, I went from playing poker, people don't understand, because I don't talk about this. I play poker once every 10 days. I play with my friends in Silicon Valley game is fun, um, great group of guys. And then, you know, and then to go from playing once every 10 days. So imagine if I win two out of three times and the third time's a small loss, I never take a big loss. And then, so once every like 44 days or something, I take a big loss and I'm really upset with myself for hours and I beat myself up. Now I'm playing online and sometimes I'll lose big two or three days in a row uh, you know, or maybe not big, but one big loss and two others. And I'm like, God dang it all. And I'm getting all <laughs> frustrated, and upset. It, that formula of getting upset and losing it once every 44 days does not translate well to playing every single day online where the swings are going to be bigger. Right. And, uh, and yeah, so 
you know, but I will say it's been a really nice, successful run. I haven't really talked about the numbers until your podcast, but it's been a nice run. Great. Uh, yeah, Phil, I live in what they call the uh, Real Housewives of New Jersey uh, belt uh, in North Jersey. They're surrounding me northeast, southwest. Uh, in a weird way, uh, you kind of were a Real Housewife before there were some uh, 20 years ago looking at ESPN and World Series of Poker. I mean, the ratings exploded not just because of the, the, the playing cards and, and who won the hand, but the personalities. And, you know, we know now that on the modern reality shows, um, there's a lot of... Uh, creative license, shall we say. And so I'm curious, um, looking back at the time, how did you feel about, you know, how you were uh, portrayed by SPN? And then uh, looking now, do you feel any differently? Do you feel any better about it or, or worse about it? Or, you know, what do you think of the experience back then and looking back now? Well, that's great. That's a great question. You know, Matt Morantz uh, from 411 Productions, 441 or 411 Productions, you know, said, hey, Phil, I'm going to be filming for ESPN. Let's go have dinner. So he and I went over to something of Japan. We went over to this Japanese restaurant. We had sushi together. And he said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to end up making you a much bigger star than you are. Uh, and I said, well, hopefully I can, hopefully people will want to watch and hopefully I'll be good for your shows. And I remember having that dinner with him and I just, and, and, you know, the world poker tour had gone a different direction. They were all about whoever made it to the final table. The World Poker Tour was about the cards and ESPN and the World Series Poker was about personalities. And both took off, which was great for everybody. But, you know, ESPN had a much bigger position for me, role for me. And I was basically just myself. I can tell you the only time that I ever really acted was, you know, when Annie Duke and I played heads up for the... Uh, for a lot of money, we just, we had saved, we're supposed to play for 2 million for first, but you know, the final four was Howard Letter, me, Johnny Chan and Annie Duke. And we had a four way deal on the table. ESPN wasn't thrilled and Harris wasn't thrilled, but we were kind of the most powerful people in poker. And so they were like, whatever. At the last minute, Howard said, no, no deal. And I, all of a sudden, bam, there's four of us playing for 2 million and nothing for second, nothing for third, nothing for fourth. And then we took Chan out. Uh, and then, uh, you know, I thought now, I mean, a brother and sister now, certainly they want to talk. Well, not only did we not break, they started moving in all in on each other, every freaking hand. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, if you're worried about somebody who are a brother and a sister, you know, family members, you know, slow playing hands or doing something weird. These are not the two you have to worry about. They were moving in on each other every hand. And I just sat back and waited and waited and waited and waited. And finally, you know, Annie got lucky. I think she had like sixes against Howard's sevens and it came queen six, six and she won and she was in tears and it was a great moment. But, you know, after all of that ended, she pulled her microphone straight off and said, all right, let's talk. So we agreed to take 750,000 each we played for 500k and so you know i i i, I probably overplayed my emotion a little bit that one <laughs> time in 20 years unfortunately mm -hmm. that's just me the poker brat and i care that much and i'm playing in an online game and every single night i'm taking these bad beats because it's online poker even though i'm winning a fortune yes and so every night i'm i'm saying god damn it i can't believe you how could you call it da, da, da. every night i'm putting these voice messages up 30 40 a night and they love it. And it's me. And I'm embarrassed. By it. But it's just me, you know, and I have too much passion. And I remember, uh, you know, Steve Lipscomb from the World Poker Tour, you know, sent me a voice message. And I'm like, hey, Steve, we're gonna have to meet in person. And he was and he said, Phil, we need you to be yourself. <laughs> I started laughing to be I knew what he, he wants me to go off because it's great for ratings they had tried <laughs> right. to calm me down earlier we need you to be yourself and uh and i just started laughing i said no steve you need to be very specific because i'm not sure what you're saying of course i knew he's like well we think the poker brett's good for the ratings <laughs> and so you know but honestly i've always tried to get better and better because i don't think the emotion serves me well but you know it is what it is and i am who i am and uh you know there are series i think I think maybe in 07 I came in and, and, and was not emotional till the main event. So occasionally I can control myself better. And I had a great series. So I'm always working for that control. Yeah, I mean that was such a, a, a magical time in, in poker, 2003, 2004, when it was when it was all really taking off and it was so exciting to watch. Um, it's a little different now in, in 2020, uh, and certainly this year 
because of COVID is nothing like what anyone was expecting the poker year to be. Um, do you think at this point that there's any kind of a realistic chance of an in-person World Series of any kind in the fall? And if not, what do you think of the idea of an online main event in the fall that maybe has a live final table? Would that be a, a reasonable option, do you think? Oh, that's a great idea. I like that idea a lot because that is possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think what, you, what you'd have to do is you'd have to test everybody. You'd, you have to put, I mean, you tell those players, hey, listen, if you're going to play this event, the final table is going to be in 14 days. It's going to be at a studio in Vegas, maybe the Poker Go studio. It's already set up and everybody has to isolate at the Aria because you guys are going to have to trust each other, you know, and then maybe, and then I think it could happen and there'll be tests and Hey, if you're stupid enough to not to, to get COVID during that time. And we find out that it's because you were out at a club somewhere, then you're going to have to forfeit and finish ninth or eighth place or something. So very strict guidelines on people, very strict rules in place. And I think it could be great. Then you could have, that's a really Good idea. I like that a lot. Hmm. Um, I mean, NBA is doing a bubble. Right. Why can't we? Right. But so, but uh, by sort of skipping over the the first part of the question, does that sort of suggest you don't think there's any realistic chance of of doing a anything more than than something like a, a single table live? Eric, don't this read year? into me skipping over stuff. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I do that too often. I, I think it's. I certainly. I think it's a great idea, and I think it's completely possible to do that. Especially, I mean, you have NBA games going on. We can't have one final table with nine players. Yeah, of course it's realistic. Right, right. No, but I mean, I guess I was asking like anything more than than that, like doing a, an actual live World Series yeah. of any kind this fall. Do you think that's not realistic for 2020? At not this realistic. Okay. Too many lawsuits. Too many people. Too many criti- Too much criticism. I mean, imagine world's going to go crazy if we do that, right? We're all in a room somewhere and everybody's, what are these people doing? Blah, 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 blah. So, I mean, it just just can't happen. And I'm also concerned about, you know, whether there'll be a 2021 World Series of Poker. I'm very concerned about that. Um, 2022 seems like we'll be able to do it, that we should have some vaccines in place. But I mean, my friends told me vaccines are, you know, no matter how much we rush, you know, always a year away, year and a half away. So, I don't think we're going to have a 2021 World Series of Poker. Um, mm. Unfortunately, I, it, I mean, it'll be online, yes, but not in the real world. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, Phil, uh, obviously a lot of professional poker players, they dabble in some other form of gambling too. It seems like you, it's, it's just like anybody likes to get away, something not quite in their, their comfort zone. Uh, I don't really picture you sitting at a Wheel of Fortune slot machine for hours at a time chasing bonuses, but um, I'm wondering about blackjack or craps or even sports betting. Anything kind of tickle your fancy on the downtime? I, I, really, I really like betting. I, of course I bet sports. I like betting sports. Um, but I don't, what I really do is I bet the NFL and my favorite is NFL futures. So every year I've made money in NFL futures since I started doing it. The first, the first big bet of my life is when I saw Peyton Manning going to the Denver Broncos and the line was eight games plus a dollar 50. And I'm like, wait a minute, Tim Tebow won eight games. If Peyton Manning's ready on week seven, then, you know, they're going to win it. And so I made the biggest bet of my life on that, uh, getting laid $1.50. And, uh, of course, I remember they were, you know, two and two and way behind in San Diego. And I was starting to get a little worried, or maybe they were two and three and way behind in San Diego. And they somehow won that game. And, of course, what were they, 12 and four? <laughs> so it went flying over. And so every year I see something on the board that doesn't make sense to me. Uh, this year, this year, the Packers, they, they were they were supposed to win eight games. And I'm like, wait a minute. They have a new coach, which means some new strategies, uh, extra energy pumped in there. And uh, and and uh, Mike Mattisau helped me, said he loved the Packers. Um, and so I ended up, uh, you know, making a really big bet on the Packers. And so every year. So that's my favorite. Um, I do like to play blackjack, but. I have this rule in Vegas where I try to risk 10,000 a day when I'm playing, you know, two, 400 poker, even four, eight, it's super restrictive, but I mean, I just don't have any bad days. Now I play in the bigger games where I have to buy in for 50,000 or a hundred thousand. That's different. And so along those lines, if I want to play blackjack to me, I've been very lucky financially blessed. You know, it's funny how people don't, 
you know, we don't know the poker players net worth, but, um, you know, I've done really well. And so I also like playing roulette, uh, you know, but something that I didn't start playing until a couple of years ago. Uh, Michael Phelps always loved it. And it's just fun. It's just messing around. Mm-hmm. I'm aware that, you know, it's a random walk downward. Um, a couple of times, my wife's birthday, the 17th, <laughs> saved me. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, I mean, these games are kind of fun for me to play, uh, honestly. So, you know, I don't do it all the time. I also like roulette when I go with Alan Keating. Uh, and so, you know, it's also about the people you're playing with and, you know. Yeah, yeah. just to follow up, to follow up, we had um, yeah, we had Jeopardy James uh, Holzauer on our podcast a couple months ago. And I'm curious what you think of uh, not only um, him as a professional sports better and how that skill set you know, lines up to being a professional poker player. And then also not only him being great at Jeopardy, a lot of it's left of being smart, but he kind of revolution, revolutionized that game by taking a traditional game show and uh, trying betting patterns that no one had ever tried before and kind of bringing the gambling, you know, mindset into it. So I'm, I'm wondering what you think of, uh, you know, how. Sounds, sounds pretty familiar to me, John. <laughs> I started using all these betting strategies no one had ever used in the eighties and nineties and uh, just kept winning and winning. I mean, no one made a small bet back then. Like every time it was, you know, and so no one ever did the Oak post bluff, which is bet. 10% of the pot. Well, I was like, wait, why wouldn't I bet 10% of the pot? If the guy is Jack high, he can't call me. And so, you know, I'd started playing small ball and using different strategies and then, but you, but that's, you know, and then there were times where I would just go crazy three betting because no one ever called when I three bet. So I learned, I added new strategies to the game that no one else was using. You know, Gus Hansen revolutionized the way that they play Parcheesi for money. No one knows mm-hmm. this, but he went back there and he saw them playing poorly. And so he kept playing and they all thought he was an idiot until he won all the money. And then <laughs> he went back the next year by using his strategies. So what Holzhauser did was brilliant to me. Brilliant. That's fascinating. I never, I never knew that about Gus uh, playing Parcheesi for money. That's great. Yeah. Uh, in Denmark. And I, I think, I think it was Parcheesi. Yeah. I mean, crazy that you can play all these different games with all the, and Gus of course is a master of strategy. One of the best backgammon players in the world. No one knows that. He's also like a scratch golfer. He's a great poker player. Gus is just great at everything. Mm. All right. So uh, wrapping up last question here um, on on a different subject, although somewhat related to uh, the sports betting uh, bit and and your, your Broncos Manning bet and all that. You recently invested in prize picks. Uh, we, we had their CEO, Adam Wexler, on the podcast a couple of months ago. It's an interesting hybrid of DFS and sports betting. What drew you to prize picks and made you want to invest? Well, we got lucky. We got lucky that, uh, you know, I'm, so I'm on nine advisory boards, and it's pretty cool. Pretty cool. I mean, like, I'm a professional poker player, right? And, uh, you know, and, and, but business is always a much bigger thing. So in 1997, I said, I'm going to be a businessman because I can only play poker. I can't play poker very much. I lived in the Bay Area. I wanted to be with my family. So that kept me out of all the big games, unless I flew to Vegas or LA for four or five days here or there. And so I really decided business is where I could end up making, you know, a billion dollars or, or probably had the goal of 50 or hundred million back in 1997. And, and now uh, the CEO of Lasso Gear, and Lasso is a sock company that James Harden wears our socks, mm-hmm. that we have these compression socks, and he, he's, he's not paid to wear them. He wears them because they're the best. And so Lasso Gear and Partha Unava have, you know, had me come on as an advisor, and I helped them so much that he told Adam about me. Mm-hmm. And then Adam said, hey, Phil, we want you on our advisory board. And, and so... And so I joined the board, but also I was lucky because, you know, because, because of COVID sports had disappeared. So they were out raising it, you know, 30, 40 million bucks. And because their revenues went way down, they had to lower what they raised at. They brought me on board and now we're going to be right back out at 30, 40 million bucks soon. But, you know, um, for me, helping these young entrepreneurs has been a blast and I never built a company from the inside, but all the CEOs are like, Phil, you've made a tremendous difference to our company. We had Iovation get sold in 2018 for 600 million. Uh, I had a point and a half in that. And so, you know, so we have all of these amazing deals coming up and, and, you know, there might be a huge announcement uh, on uh, coming up in the next week or two for a deal that I closed 
Hmm. Um, and so it, it's just so much fun for me to be part. Now, prize picks is very cool because right now at home, 60 or 70%, close to 70% of Americans can make legal bets on parlays right now. And, you know, they're in the Apple store and it's pretty cool. So, um, so you can, you can, so it's pretty cool that you can do the parlays. It, it, so being involved with prize picks uh, has been a lot of fun for me. It's my ninth official advisory board. Um, but, but man, I'm having a lot of fun. And some of these companies are just taking off. You know, one of the other companies I'm involved in is an end game talent agency. I invested at 4 million valuation. I put in 200 K and now we're worth 140 million in a year because Scott ball is crushing it. And so, you know, it's been really fun for me to, to be a part of some of these big winners. Of course, there's a big difference between having your 200 K to go to 7 million and actually getting it off the table. I mean, I think he's going to climb higher, but prize picks, I think is going to go straight up and it's really a lot of fun to be a part of. And you know what, what's the number one, thing that people like to bet on parlays yep <laughs> everybody loves a parlay so go to go to prize picks make a three-team parlay bet a five-team parlay bet and uh parlay bets are fun and I, I was making parlay bets i hit an extraordinary number of parlay bets i've noticed but i'm also a little bit not as good at betting the nfl straight up so it seems like i'm a little unlucky in the nfl straight up but then i have a couple of weird parlay bets cover my season somehow <laughs> so prize picks is just a really great platform and uh and they've done a really good job with the ui and uh it's a legitimate company and it's really fun you know they've been working on this project since 2015 so you know most likely we get bought by somebody for 100 200 300 million bucks and that'll be fun for me hmm. Well, uh, you know, you, you mentioned getting unlucky with some, some NFL bets. A wise man once said, if there weren't any luck, he'd win every time. I, I, don't, I don't know who it was who said that. But, uh, well, I admit is, I'm not the best straight up NFL better. <laughs> this has been a real pleasure, Phil. We, we can't thank you enough for coming on for our 100th episode. And I uh, just want to say uh, thanks for joining us and, and good luck uh, the second half of the month in these WSOP events. Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Two men, $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Phil told us to gamble on, and the way we're running, we may as well do just that. We had an excellent week with the bankroll. Three bets, three winners, all of them technically underdogs at plus money. Uh, as we discussed earlier, John didn't do quite as well as the cash-out king on Colin Morikawa, but he did score a very nice win, betting $100 on a top 20 finish at plus 163 and $20 on a top 5 finish at plus 650, resulting in a tidy profit of $293. Mm. Uh, and I took boxer Carlos Takam to beat Jerry Forrest by decision at plus 240, and Takam won by decision, so that's another $120 for the good guys. Right. In total, we won $413 this week, putting us ahead by $661. We still have $550 on hold in futures bets, so that leaves us with $10,111 available to wager. We're back up over the 10 k mark, uh, yeah. and, uh, and I'm up first. And I couldn't find a boxing bet I liked this week, so I'm doing an MLB future, and I'm basically just re-upping a voided bet we made several months ago. I loved the Pittsburgh Pirates under it was way too high at 70 and a half for a total no-name team that was set to mail in the season. For the 60-game restart, the line is 25 and a half. So to go under that means them being the equivalent of less than a 68-win team. Not quite as great a number as we saw in the spring. And to make matters worse, people have been betting the under, so we have to pay minus 125 juice. Uh, that was on points bet. That was the best I could find. It was actually a little higher, minus 128, minus 135 at some other sites. Despite all that, I like the bet. Uh, the, these pirates should stink. Now, I am a little worried about the general unpredictability of, of playing during mm. COVID and a 60-game schedule, but... Not quite worried enough to prevent me from betting $125 to win 100 on the Pirates winning under 25 and a half games. All right, Eric, I'm curious. Do you think that 661 we're ahead? Is that the high water mark on our 100th episode? Possibly. No, it's not quite. Because, no. uh, okay. uh, yeah, we I do believe 
After we hit that, uh, remember the big one was the Julian Edelman Super Bowl MVP yes. that won uh-huh. us $1,000. Yeah. I think at okay. one point we yeah. might have been up right around $1,000. But this mm. is definitely the highest we've been up in a while. Yeah, all right, sounds good. Uh, yeah, so my PGA Tour hot streak is now eight out of the last ten. Um, none of none of the picks are as low as even money, so uh, I got a soldier on on that front. Um, mm-hmm. This is the first top ten quality tournament since the return of the pandemic. It's uh, Jack Nicklaus's The Memorial at the same Ohio course that Morikawa triumphed on on Sunday, uh, but it's different tees, thicker rough, faster greens. Better field, more money, more pressure. Uh, so don't just pencil in last weekend's top 10. This is a, the same course, sort of, but not really. So I'm finally going to get a nice number on Brooks Kepka. Um, he's had some injury issues in the past year or two. He missed a cut on this course last week. But this guy really only cares about the big events, and that Mickey Mouse setup just didn't seem to appeal to him. Um, he just so happened, if you look closely, to birdie six of the last 10 holes uh, on Friday, uh, making a 40-foot putt on the 18th hole, and he missed the cut by only one shot. And I think that's a good thing. Uh, two extra days of rest and practice and better odds for his backers this week like me. So, you know, plus Brooks is going to play his first two rounds with Rory McIlroy and a fellow named Tiger Woods uh, making his post-pandemic debut on a course where he has won five times. Uh, Kepka really intrigues me as an athlete, having covered them for the last 35 years or so. Um, you know, many big game hunters not only thrive on the crowd, but seem to need them as fuel. Uh, I'll give you the most extreme example. Uh, I covered 39-year-old Jimmy Connors' run to the U.S. Open tennis semifinals in 1991. I mean, that guy wouldn't have won a set without an audience, uh, much <laughs> right. less all those matches. He, it was just weird. He, he was, you know, sort of pumping his fists at the audience and, and the crowd is cheering him on. And it's like, it's just invigorating him. Um, Kepka's not like that. He doesn't mind a large gallery at all, obviously, but I just don't think he needs it. So that not being there is not a problem for him. Um, uh, Kepka was going to skip this week actually, but he changed his mind after the miscut. And I, I kind of noticed this detail. He said he's determined to reach the tour championship this year. And that's the only top 30 golfers. And he's way behind on that front. So all this is a long-winded way of saying this is a major for Kepka as far as he's concerned, and we know how that tends to work out for him. So give me 100 to win 163 again on a top 20. Uh, I feel like I'm stealing money there. And get, throw me in 20 at plus 550 for a top five. That would pay out another 110. All right, so basically following your, almost yeah. the same odds and the same bets yeah. as, as you had on uh, Morikawa, but boy, all that logic really adds up. Uh, I like it. I wish I wish I was uh, not uh, away from my home. I wish I was in in a legal betting state at the moment, so I could uh, so I could follow your advice uh, for a second week in a row. But instead, I'll just root for the bankroll here. And that will do it for the hundredth episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, and thanks again to our guest, the one and only Phil Helmuth. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan, and follow US Bets at US underscore Bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling, and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And with that, John, for the one hundredth time, please take us out. Yeah, exactly. You know, Eric, it's easy enough to throw out some platitudes about, you know, gee, thanks for listening and be done with it. But you know, there's much more to it than that. There really is. I mean, there's an endless wave of gambling podcasts we all know. And, you know, not to mention every topic under the sun that you can listen to. So and everyone's time is also precious. So mm-hmm. it really is an honor for us for every episode you find worthy of listening we do appreciate. Um, I saw one review that had a, uh, something like a solid combination of gambling information and humor. And it was like, wow, if we were like Hollywood movie studios making up bogus reviews that just happen to reflect <laughs> their goals, that's pretty much what we would make up, I think. You yep. know, uh, sometimes I'll meet new people in the industry and they'll tell me, you really love this stuff, don't you? And uh, yeah, I do. And, and so do you. And apparently that comes across to you, the listener. And for that, we're really grateful. Um, so with that bit of uh, navel-gazing now concluded, I can only echo Phil Helmuth's wise words. Gamble on, everybody. 